to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our study in Ephesians. And the theme of the book is the body life. The body life and the body being you. The church of Jesus Christ and how it functions. What is its responsibilities? What are we supposed to do as the body of Christ? The title this morning is The Resources for Unity. We've been speaking in the last few studies on unity. It's not something that we are to create. It's something that we're to continue, the unity of the body of Christ. And the resources for unity. The heart of the gospel is not about what men should do for God. It's what God has done for men. The New and Old Testament has many commands, requirements, and standards that we are to meet and responsibilities that we are to fulfill. They're important, but they're not the heart of Christianity. They're just what God calls us to do and enables us to do for His glory in return for what He's done for us through Jesus Christ. And Paul starts here by focusing your attention on what God has done for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. The worthy Christian's walk that's described in verses 1 through 6 is carried out through the ministry of the gift that he's given us. In verses 7 through 11, Paul first assures us that each and every believer... And that's something I want you to grasp this morning to to really let sink in and understand. Each and every believer, and that goes for each and every believer in this sanctuary this morning, has been gifted. Think about that, because I hear a lot, well, I don't have any gifts. It's not what the Bible says. Each and every believer has been gifted. Then Paul shows us how Jesus got the right to give those gifts. And then last, he mentions some of the specifically, or I should say specially gifted men that the Lord used to bless the whole church. So let's begin now in chapter 4 with verse 7. And Paul says, and again, here it is, But to each one of us, each one of you, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there where it says, to each one of us, you could write your name there. But to Joe or Kathy, whoever you put your name, has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've been each given gifts. The nature of grace is giving. The Bible says more about giving than getting. Because it's God's nature to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's all he can do is give. And he gave and he gave and he gave until he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for us. God is a God of grace because he's a God who freely gives. It has nothing to do with anything that we've done or haven't done. God's grace can only be received. Not earned or bought. God is gracious because of who he is, not because of who or what we are. So his grace is undeserved. God's grace is unmerited favor. It can't be earned. It's unwarranted. It depends totally on the one giving it, not on those receiving it. Grace is God's sovereign act of giving. 
Enabling grace is measured out in proportion with what's necessary for the operation of Christ's gift. And each believer's gift is special. Your gift is special. The measure or specific amount given in order to, of, of, the, of, of the enabling power is given by, by sovereign design. The Lord has measured out the exact amount of each believer's gift. To sum it all up, God gives the grace and the power to strengthen whatever gift He gives us to carry out His purpose. So He just doesn't gift us and then see how you're going to carry it out. He gives us and He enables us. He gives the exact amount of enabling, empowering grace. Now let's look at verses 8 through 10. Therefore, the therefore takes us back to verse 7. All right? Because you've each been given a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Here in verses 8 through 10, Paul connects the gift of Christ to his ascension and his previous descent. Now here Paul in verses 8 through 10, he's quoting, or I should say there in verse 8, he's quoting Psalm 68, 18. And Psalm 68, 18 says this, You have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive, and you have received gifts among men or gifts for men even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. So Paul was saying that that Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and led captivity captive, who who had led captivity uh, captive. You have received gifts, Jesus received gifts for men, even from those who were rebellious against him. So Paul is emphasizing Christ's ascension, leading a multitude of captives in heaven. Sinners who once were held captive by sin and Satan have now been taken captive by Jesus Christ. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Again, Paul is quoting Psalm 68, 18 to clarify and explain the words of verse 7 according to the message or the measure of Christ's gift. A gift is one thing. The power to use it is something else. Paul is bringing the gift and the power together. And Paul says grace or graces, graces are gifts that are given to us to use according to the measure or the amount of power available to us. And that power is the life of the risen Lord living in us through the Holy Spirit. So it's not your power, it's not your charisma, nor your intelligence or education or anything of it. Of the such. It has to be a power that's greater than all of these. It's a power that's not dependent on any of us in any way. So we need a power that's available to every Christian in every circumstance at any time. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he speaks about the ascension of Christ. It's the power of the risen Lord, it's the power of the resurrection. It took his descent. From glory down to earth. In other words, words, it took Jesus leaving glory. The heavens that he created. It took him leaving glory. 
to come to this earth and experience the pain and the suffering of the cross and then his resurrection from the dead and his ascension in victory to receive gifts from the Father before it was possible for him to give those gifts to you. True Christians show the reality of the resurrection power in their lives through the quiet evidence of their love, joy, peace, enduring tough times, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gifts of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is what's missing in the church today. The gifts of the Spirit. Christians have been influenced by the world to the point that it's forgotten the divine provision that is God's power for reaching the world for Jesus. And the church is never going to change the world like it did in the book of Acts, the first century church, until each Christian starts to use the gifts that God has given them in the power of the resurrected Lord. That's why Paul said, hey, I want to know him and the resurrection power in Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. This should be the most important thing to each and every one of you in this room this morning. This should be more important than your standard of living or your worldly success or your desire to travel around the world to find romance, be entertained, or anything else. Because, as Paul said, it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Romans 13, 11 through 13. Notice, Paul said, don't make provisions for the flesh. Don't cater to the flesh. Don't pamper the flesh. It must be crucified. Verses 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Look at verse 12. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Here now, we learn how pastors and other leaders fit into this divine plan, God's plan, for the operation of Christ's body, the church. And there are four ministries in the body that is in the church that are needed by every member. And they're equally shared that we must not think of them independently from the other gifts that Christ gives us or gives to his church. So again, Paul emphasizes these four specific gifts in verse 11. Notice, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. These are some of the gifts that Jesus has given to men. We call these gifts here in verse 11 support gifts as compared to service gifts and sign gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. These four gifts relate to the whole body of Christ, a lot lot like the main systems that relate to the physical body. The human body, in the human body, there are four main systems that the whole body depends upon to function properly. There's the skeletal muscular structure. This is the bones and the muscles of the body. Then there's the nerve system, the digestive system, and the circulatory systems. 
These, uh, there are other systems as well, but there, these four are like the main four support systems in the body of Christ. So we're going to look at, at how, God, how, how, how God touches and changes the world through the gifts that he's given his church. That is the body, you and I. And these four uh, gifts, again, uh, in the book Body Life, are described by uh, Ray Steadman uh, in a really great way. And, and that's what I want to share, from you, uh, share from, uh, with you this morning. When it talks about the bones and the muscles or the skeletal and muscular system, these, this is like the apostles. First, there's the basic structural system of bones and muscles in the body. This gives the body its basic support and makes it possible for the body to move and to get around. You see, without our, our skeletal and, and, uh, structure and, and, our, and our muscles, we, we'd be like a pile of flesh jello. There'd be nothing to support it. We'd be shapeless if it wasn't for our bones and our muscles. You see, this matches the apostles and their work in the body of Christ. The apostles' work was foundational. <clears throat> it was skeletal. The apostles formed the basic structure that made the body of Christ take on the specific shape that it has. The apostles laid the foundation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 2.20, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the main work of an apostle was to declare the whole body of truth about Jesus. That's the foundation. What the apostles say about Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And what they say about Jesus Christ is recorded for us in the New Testament. And the New Testament is written by the apostles and prophets. And the church rests directly on that foundation. The way somebody gets into the church is by believing in the truth about Jesus Christ. But that means more than just agreeing with the truth about Jesus. It's also a commitment of one's will to Jesus Christ. And it's only when the church rests on this foundation of the faith that was taught by the apostles that there's any confidence or strength in what we believe. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, that if a person builds on the wrong foundation, they're in big trouble. And he talked about the house that was built on the rock and the house that was built on the sand. And the house that was built on the rock, it was solid. And when the storms of life came and beat against it, it would still be found standing after the storm was gone. But he said, that man that built his house on the sand, he said, when the storms of life came and beat upon it, he said that house would fall and great would be its fall. Jesus himself chose the apostles. They were the first leaders of the church. They were first in time. They were first in ministry. And they were first in the lists of the gifts. The apostles were commissioned and they were sent out by Jesus to start and direct the preaching and teaching of the gospels together with him to set up the church. Now, the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means a messenger. It means one sent out with a commission, an apostle of Christ. And the basic idea of the word apostle is that of one sent as a representative of another and who gets his authority from the sender. In the classical Greek, apostolos also means a fleet of ships, an expedition. 
And from this meaning, it's broadened to one commissioned and sent to another country, a missionary. So we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, this is important to know as we understand too. There are no apostles today in the church in the literal sense of the ones spoken of in the Bible. Because the ones in the Bibles, in order to be an apostle in that day, you had to see Jesus Christ as meant in the New Testament. Also, there's no more foundation that needs to be laid than that which has already been laid. Because it was laid once, and it was laid once and all, uh, once and all for, by the first apostles, the twelve disciples of Jesus Christ. And besides the twelve, several others are called apostles, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, James, and Paul. Also, the word apostle was used with several different meanings. It was, it was used for the twelve apostles of Jesus. It was used by all those commissioned by Jesus. And it was used by Paul, as a special, who was a special apostle, to the Gentiles. And there were others. So, you know, it, it, it shows that there were different levels of apostleship that were sent out by Jesus Christ. So there are no apostles today in the literal sense of the twelve in the New Testament. But there are apostles in a lesser sense. In other words, believers today are fulfilling the God-given ministry of an apostle. There's no new truth for them to give. There's no new truth to be added to the scriptures. There's no other foundation that needs to be laid. That body of truth in the Gospels that we know has to be taken by those who have an apostolic gift and pass it on to new churches where the, where, you know, wherever they may start. Again, we're missionaries, ambassadors. And even though we don't call them apostles today, there are those who are gifted to do the work of an apostle. So it's not in the name, but in the power that we see it. There's no other information. There's no new revelation about Jesus Christ other than what the apostles have given. And, and I saw an advertiser, I think it was on National Geographic, on, on they, they, they say they found a new uh, chapter uh, to be, that, that, that should, be, should have been in the Bible. Hey, uh-uh. And you know what? We're going to hear more and more of that as the days go by. You know, a new addition to the Bible. This has been left out. No, we have everything that God intended us to have. If that would be the case, that there was something new, God said, oh, I left this part out, you guys. I need to put this in now. Uh-uh. Nothing new. No more information, no other revelation other than what the apostles have given us. So watch out for people who say they're apostles. Hey, we have a new truth to give. You know, we, we want to enlighten you more than you have been. So the apostles were the bones and the muscles of the church, the body of Christ. This is the skeleton of the body and the church is built on this and this is where we get our strength. The second gift that Paul mentions there in verse 11 are the prophets. This is the nervous system. The nervous system is, con is connected to the skeletal system in the human body. The nervous system sends signals to the brain, telling the brain, uh, that, telling the, the bones and the muscles to move. The nervous system is the command center. It's the communication system. It's connected directly to the head. The head gives messages to every part of the body. 
And the nervous system is like the work of the prophets in the body of Christ. A prophet is really a person who speaks for God, who makes known the mind of God. Before the New Testament was written, the prophets spoke the truths that we now have written in our Bibles directly by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not by some man's private interpretation or their own opinion. They made known, the apostles made known what God taught. And as a result, the body was motivated and it was inspired into action. And the prophets interprets the whole body of truth about Jesus Christ and explains it so that it becomes very clear and convincing. The word prophets suggests this exact thing. The word prophet, it gets its meaning from a Greek root that means to cause to shine. And it's connected with the prefix pro, which means before. So a prophet is one who stands before and causes the word to shine. This meaning of the word prophet is seen in 2 Peter chapter 1, 1 verse 19. And he says, so we have the prophetic word uh, confirmed. He said, which you would be smart to pay close attention to what they wrote because their words are like, like a light shining in a dark place. Paul makes it even clear in 1 Corinthians 14.3. Paul said, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Ray Steadman, the author of Body Life, says this. Usually men who speak at conferences are speaking as prophets, marking the truth, making the truth clear, shining, and convincing. Then the next gift that Paul mentions in verse 11 is the evangelist, which he likens to uh, the, 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 the digestive system. The digestive system. The third support ministry in the body of Christ is the evangelist. Again, like the digestive system in the body. The evangelist is connected with the work of the pastor teacher. Evangelists are men and women with a special gift of communicating the gospel in relevant terms. Terms that the unbelievers can understand. And the evangelist knows how to explain the redemption story of Jesus Christ. He or she is able to share the truth that results in the new birth. The whole purpose for evangelizing, to reach people for Jesus Christ, to see them saved. The evangelist's role is to tell people about the grace of God and the sacrificial love of the Heavenly Father, calling all men to himself through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the work of an evangelist. And because the evangelist is mostly responsible for the numerical growth of the body of Christ, the ministry of the evangelist is like the digestive system in the human body because it takes food, which is the word of God, the evangelist, that's not like the flesh and turns it into flesh and bones, making it a living part of the body. All Christians, everyone in you here, everyone of you in here that is a Christian is expected to evangelize. That's what the word of God teaches here. Christians are to evangelize as witnesses. But a witness is different from an evangelist. Any Christian, any one of you, should be able to explain to others what happened when you became a Christian. How, no matter, and how few words you share it. Once I was in darkness, now I'm in light. 
That's what Jesus Christ is. It's as simple as that. Peter said, always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Witnessing should be as easy about how much, as talking about how much you had on your vacation. Or, or how that moment was when you, you, you had your first child. That's how easy it is to witness. If you can talk about how great your vacation is or, or the birth of your first child, you can witness for Jesus. To talk about your Christian experience simply and naturally is, is Christian witnessing. It's that simple. Evangelism, it can be done anywhere. It's not limited to big crusades. The gift of evangelism can be done with just one person, like Philip in the book of Acts. The evangelist, Philip, when he went witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch and he told him about Jesus. It's just saying, hey, you know, I came to Christ. He's changed my life and I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. It's that simple. But as we grow in Christ and we, we learn more of the word of God, it enables us to, to share it in, in a deeper way. Evangelism, evangelism is the byproduct of a healthy church. For from you, listen to what Paul said to the, chest, uh, the church in Thessalonica. Again, evangelism is the byproduct of a healthy church. He said, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith uh, toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. I love that. Paul said, man... The, your faith, you know, you've, been, you've been sharing your testimony into Achaia and, and Macedonia and, and, you know, and, and the word has gone out. Faith, he says, we don't need to say anything. That's, that's, and again, that's the evangelism that the church is to do. They're to carry, it's not just up to the pastor, assistant pastor and the, the leaders and, and, and the ladies and the women's ministry and all the various ministries in the church. It's the body of Christ, everyone sitting here. Pastor Chuck used to tell us, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. And then we have, lastly, the fourth gift uh, we have here in uh, verse 11 is pastors, teachers, which are like the circulatory system. The body depends on the circulatory system to live. The veins and the arteries are connected to the heart and the lungs, supplies food and air to every part of the body and takes away the accumulated waste. This is like the work of teaching pastors in the body of Christ. They are to keep the body alive by feeding the body, cleansing it, keeping life in the body, giving it energy and strength by teaching them the word of God. Pastor teaching doesn't mean they're both the same. There, there may be pastors, I'm sorry, there may be teachers who aren't pastors, but there, there, there can't be pastors who are not teachers. The word pastor Referring to the spiritual leader of a local church is found only one time in the New Testament. And that's Ephesians 4.11. But the figure of the church as a flock and of the work of the spiritual leader of the church as shepherding the flock of God, that's found many times in Scripture. Jesus was called the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the gentle shepherd, the chief shepherd. And pastors of the churches are nothing more than under shepherds. 
serving under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. The words pastor and shepherd come from the Greek word poimen. Teaching, teaching is an important and much needed gift today. And Jesus shows the importance of the gift when he said this in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He told his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things that I, Jesus, have commanded you. And when you read through the Gospels, and if you remember, notice how many times the word taught is mentioned. The disciples taught. Jesus taught. He was found taught. He was found teaching. They were teaching. They were, they were taught. Teaching the Word of God. They weren't taught how to heal. They weren't taught how to speak eloquently. They weren't taught how to go to seminary. They, no, they taught the Word of God. New believers are to be discipled mostly through teaching. That's the importance of Bible study. Teaching gifts are especially needed if the church is to mature. John Stott said this, Nothing is more necessary for the building up of God's church in every age than an ample supply of God-gifted teachers. It's teaching that builds up the church. It's teachers, it's teachers who are needed most. Verses 12 and 13. And here's why these gifts that are mentioned in verse 11 are important. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So those who have been given the gifts of teaching are to use those gifts for what? It says here, to equip the saints, to prepare them. Why? So believers may do the work, that is the service of the ministry, so that the body of Christ may be edified, built up, until all reach unity in the faith, become mature and full-grown in the word, measuring up to the full stature of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 gives us the absolute purpose for God giving the teaching gifts. To equip the saints. It gives a basic purpose for God giving these gifts. To edify the body of Christ. To build up the church. But it keeps the needed and required intermediate step. All right? You. That is every member of it's an every member ministry. It's understood that where this intermediate step is not taken, that is, where you guys are not, again, doing what God has called you to do, okay, then the, the clergy is doing all the work, the staff, the leadership. And there's where the church will get stale. And that's where divisions happen. In the book, The Great Commission, the author says this, in a church where only 10 or 20% of the members are trying to fulfill all the functions of the body, it's crippled or it's paralyzed. Because the whole body isn't functioning the way it should. When you have a, a bad foot or a bad leg, it basically cripples the rest of the body. 
the whole body has to function properly for the body to function properly. If one part, two parts, any part of it is not functioning, hey, it, it hurts the rest of the body. So maybe you're saying, well, I don't have any of these gifts. So what does any of this have to do with me? A lot. First, maybe God has given you one of these gifts. But you need to seek God. Pray, Lord, show me my gift. In closing, God may be calling some of you to be pastors, teachers, evangelists, you know, leaders, teachers of the word of God. But for sure, God has given gifts to the whole body. You have a gift. But you have to use your gifts. And when each one in the body is fulfilling their God-given role, then the whole body comes alive with resurrection power. Lives are changed. Ministries thrive. And communities are changed. Isn't this the kind of church you want? This is the kind of church people look for. But the body makes the church. You make the church what it is. If you're not happy with it, don't blame just the pastor or the rest of the leadership. We have to check out each ourselves. Are we doing, am I a part of what God wants me to be doing in the body of Christ? We love a thriving church, an exciting church. It's doing things and, and, and making changes in the community and people's lives. They're making a difference. The church becomes united. It becomes healthy. It becomes important and exciting again. And if we can bring back God's original plan for the church, as we see in Acts chapter, uh, or in the book of Acts, then we are going to see churches again that are today's version of the church in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the model of the church. And the church in the book of Acts is to be what the church should be today. The rare characteristics of the true living church of Jesus Christ is boldness, power, unity, and transformation, and love. All of them lived out deed after deed after deed of Christian service. There's nothing or no no place more exciting to be in this world than in a church that operates the way God designed it to And when you look at chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 in the book of Acts, there's where you see it. The people gathered daily. They went to the temple daily. They ate together. They they were in unity with one another. They just just had this, this, this excitement and this fellowship about one another. And this is what... This is what the world saw in that time. This is what affected the the world regarding the church. They saw the church was thriving and exciting and they had something. And it drew people to the church. Are people being drawn to the church today? They're looking for that. They want that. Are we giving it to them? Or are they looking in all the wrong places for what we should have right here? question is now what are you going to do 
be a part of the body that helps make the church alive or be a part of the, 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 the body that, that hinders it, cripples it? And is it possible that you're a part of the reason that the church is stunted in its growth? Paul said we are to examine ourselves because we are Christians. But are we living up to the standards that God has set for us? And he just didn't, he didn't just save us to sit. He saved us to serve, to go out and teach the people everything that we know about Christ, to be evangelists, ambassadors. And again, he didn't save us and then leave us on, uh, to ourselves. He saved us and then he gave us the instructions. He gave us the Bible. Then he gave us the power to do what the Bible says to do through his Holy Spirit. Then he gave us the resource for that power through prayer. He's given us everything that we need to do what he's called us to do. Thing is, are we doing it or are we going to do it? Father, we thank you once again for your word. Thank you for this wonderful word, Lord. And Father, again, the message is meant to be an exhortation. It's meant to be a stimulating message, Lord. Not one of condemnation. One of examination. Of taking inventory. Lord, am I what I'm supposed to be in Christ? Lord, am I helping to make the church exciting? Am I helping to make it grow? Am I helping to make it mature? Am I helping to make it thrive? An an exciting place to be, Lord. Where we see people's lives changing. Where we see the gifts in operation. Where we see people healing. Not just physical healing, but mental healing and marriages and financial and emotional and all the things, God, that you've, you've made available to us, Lord, that's, that's not impossible in Christ. It's impossible for men to do. It's not impossible for Christ. He's our hope. He's our strength. He's our sufficiency. He's everything that we need in a day when so much is needed. So, Father, speak to us. May the Holy Spirit bring conviction to our lives. May he bring change, power. You're the resource. May we be plugged into you. Father, we also thank you for the offering we'll receive today, Father. We always thank you for your faithfulness, your generosity, Lord, your goodness towards us when we're so undeserving. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.